Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Torah portion is Kititse. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshamit Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about sparing the rod and spoiling the child, Torah style. So let me ask you a personal question. What was the worst punishment you ever received? Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll, I'll confine this to childhood, um, <laughs> <laughs> just to keep things from getting too messy. I'd have to say, like, I got my my mouth washed out with soap once. I remember that really vividly. My mom did that, and my my mom was not usually the uh, the punisher. My dad uh, spanked me a few times. I, I recall a belt at least once, which I I think was not that unusual for children of my generation, but mostly I was a pretty obedient, well-behaved kid. I didn't get into a lot of trouble. I'm not sure I can make the same claim. You know, I grew up in Cleveland, and in Cleveland, they had corporal punishment. And so I was in class, and uh, students would get paddled, and one teacher would say, get the Board of Education. And so whenever, as an, even as an adult, when I hear those words, the Board of Education, I think sometimes my hands... My palms get a little sweaty. <laughs> well, in the Torah reading for this week, we have the ultimate punishment, which is both terrifying and repugnant at the same time. The Torah reads, if a man has a wayward and defiant son who does not heed his father or mother and does not obey them even after they discipline him, the father and mother shall take him and bring him to the elders of the town in a public place of his community, and they shall say to the elders of the town, This son of ours is disloyal and defiant. He does not heed us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Thereupon, the men of the town shall stone him to death. Thus you shall sweep out evil from your midst. All Israel will hear and be afraid. Now, what do you think of that? It certainly sounds harsh, um, and I'm, I'm curious about couple things. Why is it only sons? I, I didn't hear daughters. Do we assume that only the sons are troublemakers or are they the only ones worth addressing? This doesn't seem to, to have been applied. We don't do that. So why is it in the Torah? I'm wondering. Yeah, I think you've picked up on a whole variety of things. Okay, good, good. I think it's time to ordain you. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you and I have been doing this long enough. I guess I'm going to osmosis. So first of all, the rabbis say that this actually only applies to boys and men doesn't apply to women. They didn't see women in the category of being gluttons and drunkards. And they must have seen men as being far more dangerous than women. I think it probably also spoke to the times and things like that and the role of women, but you're quite right about that. The second piece, in terms of the punishment itself, the rabbis make a startling statement in the Talmud. They say there never was a ben sorer umoreh, which is the name of the uh, defiant child in the Torah, and there never will be. Here you have this horrifying law in the Torah, and the rabbis say, oh, by the way, there never was one of these, and there never will be. So what do we do with that? Now, I guess the question then is, why is it in there at all then? It almost seems like uh, a cop out, right? They don't want, they don't know how to deal with it. So they're just dismissing it. Like, nah, not, not really. Never mind. You can just skip that part. And that seems unusual. I, the rabbis are not usually that lenient or that, um, willing to overlook these things. So I'm concerned, confused. And I'm interested to hear, you know, what your take is on that. Well, first of all, we don't actually know if this was ever applied. So let's just start there. When we're talking about the Talmudic era, we're talking about at least a thousand years after Moses. 
So we don't know if this was applied. And the rabbis don't know themselves. But what's clear is that they find it as repugnant as we do. And so they're trying to make sense of this. Now, maybe the patriarchal society of nomadic peoples was different, and the iron-fisted rule of the patriarch was different, and society had, in, in the biblical time, and things had evolved over time to the rabbinic age where that would not have been done. I can't really speak to that. But again, you're seeing a transition from a patriarchal society, one with a more centralized government. And so I think that also makes a difference. Just to stay on point here in terms of the rabbis, I want to suggest to you that what they're trying to say here is that the concept of children hearing their parents and creating a hierarchy where parents do have, are recognized as having authority and cannot be dismissed by their children is, in a sense, a key to understanding a uh, moral society. In other words, it's not just what happens in the home, but the home becomes emblematic of what's happening in the larger society. Does that, does that make sense? Well, sure. You've got to have respect for authority, and that's not only key to the family, to the home, but it's key to religion, right? I mean, why else would we bother to record these rules and study these passages if we weren't supposed to take lessons from them and follow uh, the laws, right? These are laws. So how do you, but they're laws that aren't usually punished in the way that crimes are punished, right? So it's voluntary. You don't have to sign up for a religion. Do you think this is part of the sort of methodology for just getting people on board with belonging to a civilized community where where rules have to be followed? First of all, there's no distinction in Israelite society between secular and religious. Everything is flowing from Torah, right? So there there just isn't that that distinction doesn't exist, but what I'm thinking is that the rabbis want you to focus not on whether or not this actually happened. But the larger concept of authority in the community, the Torah is giving a terrifying warning to children that they must obey their parents, just as we want people to respect authority, just as we want people to honor God. And I don't think it's coincidental that we refer to God as Avinu Malkenu, as we will over the holidays. That also plays a role here. We talk about God as our father, our parent, and our king. So if there's a breakdown between children and parents, that is ultimately going to impact how we react to authority in society. And that's also going to impact how we hear the laws of Torah and how we relate to God. And that ultimately can lead to a breakdown in society. You hear a lot of people complaining about um, parents today not being into the discipline, um, trying to be friends with their kids rather than authority figures. And I confess to some guilt in this area. Uh, I think sometimes it, it shocks the, the grandparents to see how not just spoiled our kids are, but just how we relate to them in a very different way where we want our kids to think we're cool. We try to pretend that we're not in a, in a position of authority or position of power and we want to, to relate to them as friends. And sometimes this does lead to a breakdown. You'll see kids who seem to be begging for some kind of a sense of authority. They're, they, they want 
somebody to tell them what they should and shouldn't do. They're not looking for um, parents to be to be their pals. I think they some of these kids are, are craving some rules and some structure in their lives. And I wonder if, if that is sort of a pushback, the rebound from this permissive generation of parents to, uh, or, you know, the stricter parents followed by a generation that's that's less restrictive. I'm not sure if we are as conscious as we should be about the sea change in attitudes towards parenting that has taken place in the last 50 to 100 years. How parents were seen, how they were obeyed post-World War II, how that evolved in the 50s, and then, you know, the whole revolution of the 60s into the 70s. And you can see a direct correlation between the change in parenting to how people approached government or trusted their leaders, right, to the breakdown of religion as well. I think what the Torah is pointing to in this very odd and chilling law about the rebellious child is a warning about authority and society at large. And the punishment, which whether it was meted out or not, and let's hope that it wasn't, is supposed to rein children in so that we don't experience that kind of breakdown. I, I think that that's something worthy of consideration in our own age. Oh, without a doubt. There's a sense that we you, you lose sense of a family, you lose sense of community, um, and the individual becomes paramount. And I think if you if you don't respect authority, if you don't respect your elders, and it's all about you and your own happiness, it sounds good in the short term, but in the long term, it, it leads to sort of an unraveling of the community. The rabbis actually do something interesting here because they go beyond the danger to community and they look at something else, which I think that we should touch on as well. They make the point that you could only have a Ben Sorera you could only define someone like this if the parents were disciplining their child equally. In other words, you did not have a situation where one parent was the authority figure and the other parent was in disagreement. They had to be perfectly consistent, right? So when the Torah says, does not heed his father or mother, that means they both have to speak with the same voice. They both have to be present in the home. They both have to be partners in parenting. And so what the rabbis are doing here also is not only talking about society at large, but they're also offering a primer on parenting and how children need to see and need to feel consistency, which takes us back to your earlier point that not only do children need some sort of boundary and discipline to a certain level and know what right and wrong and guidance, but they also need to hear consistency from their parents. You know, on a very simple, practical level, it makes sense. You can't punish the child if the parents aren't committed to it, if they're not together in their decision that the child should be punished. But even more so, it's saying that good discipline, good child raising comes from a, a family that is in accord and, and is working as a team, not with two parents at different purposes and, and at odds with one another. That's really interesting, I think. The fact is, is that we have classes at Anchiamat for premarital couples. We have all kinds of classes, but we don't really offer parenting classes. When I learned to drive, I had to go to driving school. We don't do that in our society. We don't do that with parents in our society. What I want to suggest to you 
is that where you learned to parent was from your own parents. And where your parents learned to parent was from their parents. And that's great when you have wonderful parents. It's not great when you have parents who really had modeling that didn't affect their children positive, because that also gets carried on from generation to generation. And in a way, what the Torah is trying to say is that this isn't nature, this is nurture. So the Ben Sorera Moret didn't come out of the air. In most cases, it's really the result of inconsistent parenting. Well, and maybe that's why it's never enforced, because it's never really the child's fault. Uh, it's it's often or perhaps always the fault of the parents that set this child in the path toward gluttony and greed or whatever the, the crimes are that are listed, and that we need to be looking at the family as a whole. We can't just punish the child. That's right. So going back to the Ten Commandments, the bridge commandment in the Ten Commandments is Kibudavaim, honor your father and your mother. The first set of commandments are between us and God. The last commandments are between us and our fellow. And so the bridge commandment between the laws that apply between us and God and those that apply to us and our fellow is honor your father and your mother. You can't honor God unless you honor your parents is the ultimate messaging. But the rabbis go on to say that in order for a child to honor their parents, the parents have to act in ways worthy of being honored. I think it's a very powerful idea. In other words, we have a responsibility as parents to comport ourselves in ways that will make us worthy of being honored. That's a really valuable insight, and it, it explains why maybe it's impossible to punish the kids when parents would have to be the ones to assign the punishment, and the parents are certainly aware that they're human and they may have contributed to the kids' problems. That's a powerful issue. And think about our society today where you have more and more dual-income families and more and more children being brought up by single parents. They're all doable, and it's not a negative mark, but it does make it more challenging. It does make the whole parenting issue that much more challenging. And I think on that note, I think we'll stop. I hope that we can look at texts like this and not simply kind of pass them off and say, this is the most primitive thing I've ever seen, but see the conversation that the rabbis are having and see how relevant it can actually be. Just the fact that they struggled with it means that there's a lot there for us to think about. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you.